0: In many creative industries, it is not uncommon to wear a sleep deprivation badge of honor to the office every morning and champion how hard you work despite barely getting any sleep. Let me put this simply. This needs to stop now. There is nothing more detrimental to your energy levels, your productivity, your focus, and your creativity than sleep deprivation. And beyond how poor sleep affects your performance, the long-term effects of sleep deprivation are downright terrifying. For example, did you know that if you get less than six hours of sleep regularly, that your cognitive scores and your reaction times are equivalent to being legally drunk? And that is just the beginning. Unfortunately, it gets way worse. Now, this week is a two-for-one special on sleep, where I'm going to have two sleep experts back-to-back. In today's episode, I have an in-depth conversation about the science of sleep with Sean Stevenson, author of Sleep Smarter, as well as the host of The Model Health Show, which is routinely the number one health and wellness podcast on iTunes. He has been featured in Forbes, Fox News, ESPN, The Today Show, Men's Health, and many other top publications. If you are interested in taking sleep seriously, Sean is the guy to help you reach the promised land. And now without further ado, my interview with sleep expert, Sean Stevenson. I'm here today with none other than Sean Stevenson. And for those of you that work in an industry similar to mine where you are very creative and stuck in a room for long hours, you may not know who Sean Stevenson is, but you need to because this guy will systematically fix your life one step at a time. So Sean, a lot of people say great to have you on the show. That is a massive understatement. I am so full of gratitude and excitement to have you on the other end of my microphone. And the fact that you're giving me 6 60- minutes of your day is incredible. So thank you so much for being here.
1: That means everything, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on. I gave
0: a little bit of background about you in the introduction so people know that you are the real deal. And today's focus is going to be all about the power of sleep and how it can transform your life. But I don't just want to jump right into the sleep hacks and all the steps and talking about all the great things that you mentioned in your book. What I want to do first is I want people to really, really understand your story so they know how you got here, then the next step is helping them understand why not sleeping is so detrimental to their health. And I might say, well, you know, I don't want to scare people. But to be honest, I kind of do. Because if you don't get enough sleep in your life, it is terrifying. So first of all, just super brief elevator pitch. How did Sean Stevenson get to be where he is today? And then let's dig in a little bit deeper into
1: why we're talking about sleep and why you're so passionate about it. Sure, sure. I would love to, you know, and just to identify with everybody listening, you know, I got a chance to look through your, your podcast and your, your brand and what you're providing for everybody. And I'm definitely in that guild, you know, I'm in that group of people where, you know, I have multiple businesses running. Uh, I have a family, I have, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm a writer. So I tell people that if you want to kind of mess up your health, the best thing to do is write a book, you know, just kind of being desk bound would be, had I not gained this awareness and constantly on airplanes, flying back and forth across the the country, and, and doing live events and speaking. I've got a lot of things going on. Bottom line, and there is a way that we can harness all of these things and leverage them for our good and to have a complete life. You know, I really do feel like we can have it all, but there's going to be an imbalance somewhere. You know, pretty much all the time, and it's it's this beautiful game of finding how to make this all work together in a cohesive fashion. And so for me, I got into this field. It was not my intention. I'll put it like that starting off. When I went to college, I did wanna go pre-med and become a doctor because I thought it sounded good. I literally hated science. I hated it with like the big capital, like four H's. I hated it. And it was because, and I've been having this conversation with some amazing physicians lately. The way that I was taught in school and also in the university setting, it was very external, you know, it didn't create a visceral connection to me when I'm looking and studying about biology and, and cells, you know, it was so, it was like rote memorization. It didn't really apply to me in my life, the way that I communicated and help other people to get connected to this information. So I quickly got out of that after, I believe it was my second semester and I shifted gears because I watched this movie uh, starring Eddie Murphy called Boomerang. And he was like in marketing or something. I thought he was super cool. So I got into marketing, you know? And so this is where my influence is coming from. It's coming from television, not even some people in my life guiding me. But fate had other plans. And uh, long story short, when I was 20 years old, I was when I was in college, I was diagnosed with something called degenerative bone disease, degenerative disc disease, where the disc between the vertebrae and my spine were deteriorating rapidly. To the degree, when I was 20, my physician said that my spine was the spine of an 80-year-old person. And so the lifespan at that point, 80, 80 years old, was, I mean, basically, you know, lifespan is shorter than that. So I'm looking like I'm close to a dead person's spine. And ah, uh, man, it's just kind of even hard to put myself back in those shoes, but I have to do that to express this. I was in a lot of pain, uh, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of depression, uh, because I couldn't get around very well. And I had a lot of this radiating pain, sciatic pain, shooting down my leg every time I'd stand up. And so I was in fear of even getting up. And my physicians helped to cater to that fear, telling me, don't do anything. Be careful. Wear this back brace. And they were giving me permission to not do anything, which is one of the worst things you can do with this condition. And so just to kind of summarize this experience, two years went by. I gained a bunch of weight because just sitting and eating I call it the tough diet, typical university food. Um, I gained about 50 pounds. I became more and more less mobile. So like my body started to atrophy and I was on a lot of medications and just really in a struggling spot. And all of this changed when I got the word from my final physician that I saw, I, got, I spoke with five different physicians, but four main ones. And this last guy told me the same story. There's nothing you can do about this. This is something you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. And I had a choice to make. Was I going to buy into what he was telling me or was I going to do something about it? Because up until that point, I hadn't done anything except what the doctor told me to do, which was to do nothing and take drugs. And this kind of moment of revelation clicked in and I just decided to get well. And most people never do that. And I tell people this all the time. Most people make it like, I hope this works. I'll give this a try. I wish this would change, but they don't really decide to do anything about it. Like I decided that no matter what, I'm going to get better. And that's a very empowering way to think. But I'm also a very analytical person. It's not like a magic carpet flew on and like a boo was on the magic carpet and we flew away into the sunset. It's not like that. I created a plan with structure and backed by science as much as I possibly could as I went along And so that plan entailed three things, and one of these things we're going to talk about in depth today. So number one, I changed the way that I was eating. Even though my physician told me this had nothing to do with the way that I was eating, I asked the question, what is my spine and discs actually made out of? These sulfur-bearing amino acids, polysaccharides, silica, all these things I'd never heard about in nutrition class or in my biology classes about making up my own tissues. I wasn't getting any of these things from the sunny delight I was drinking every day. You know, so I start to flood my system, my tissues with these raw materials, so my body can rebuild itself. It can't do the job without these raw materials. That's part one. Part two was I started to move again. And your body literally requires movement in order to heal itself. And I found studies showing that when you move, you actually assimilate your nutrients better and detoxify waste products better. Third thing, and this was real, this was the real game changer, was I would change the way that I was sleeping. So for me, my biggest struggle every day was sleeping because of this pain. And so I medicated myself. I took over-the-counter and prescription medications to help me to sleep. And it was kind of like this pseudo-sleep because it's not actually helping to facilitate my body to go through normal sleep cycles, which we'll talk about later. But bottom line is I felt horrible every day. I was tired. I was dragging through the day, especially in the morning. And here's the bottom line for everybody is that if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. This is when your body releases the vast majority of growth hormone, reparative enzymes, all this stuff that builds you up better. And so I was missing on a huge chunk of that every single night and wondering why I wasn't getting better. So this is what I did really quickly was certain things I was doing during the day started to show up for me when I laid my head down at night. So the bottom line and kind of what I share in, in my book, Sleep Smarter, is that a great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning. So some of the things I changed during the day with my lifestyle helped me to sleep better. And as soon as that happened, it's like the floodgates open. You know, I lost 28 pounds in six weeks. Uh, The pain that I've been experiencing for two years was gone. And I became this kind of revitalized, re-energized human being, eventually getting scans done and seeing that I regenerated the tissue in my spine. My two ruptured discs had retracted on their own. And that was really the birthing of my career. You know, I started to help other people to deal with their health issues as well. Opened my own practice, uh, wrote books, started a number one podcast. And that's my story in a nutshell. Well,
0: one of the things that I can say, kind of my own personal experience, and I'm if somebody else has this experience, I want them to to know that I went through the same thing, is that when I first saw you, because you're pretty big in the health space now, and I saw a picture of Sean Stevenson, and it's like super ripped guy, clearly an athlete, and, you know, Best seller, all this stuff. Well, I just don't know if I can relate to him on a personal level because I'm in a very different industry and I do something very different. But then I started to dig into your story and I'm like, oh, OK, now I really understand where he came from. And then the thing that really clinched it for me was when I saw that sleep for you was just not another component of a business that teaches health. Sleep is a mission. And as soon as I saw the word mission, I said, whatever it takes, I'm getting this guy in the show because that's what it is for me. This is all about a revolution. It's about a mission. It's not just let's share this new information. So now I really, really want to dig into what not sleeping is doing to us because in our culture, it is now endemic. And especially in the culture of my industry and other creative industries that are technology-based, it's not that we're just not sleeping. We're wearing it as a badge of honor. People are saying that, like, they think they're better than others because they pull all-nighters and they're working longer hours, and as soon as you learn from a biological level what that's doing to your brain, your creativity, and your energy, it's pretty scary. So let's talk about some of the things that are happening when you don't
1: sleep consistently. Got it. Well, everything that I'm going to say is backed by solid science. Tons of research go into these statements that I'm going to make, and so let's start with the real visceral understanding because that's what we want to do is create a visceral connection to these things. And we all want to look good, even though we might be behind the computer screen, behind the scenes, everybody wants to look and feel good. And chances are, you know, we're at a situation now where over 70% of our population right now is clinically obese or overweight, according to the research. Now, that would say that a lot of the people who are going to be taking advantage of this information want to do some changing with their body composition. And so how do we go about that? Well, we can, totally get going and destroying ourselves in the gym, like just kicking our butts all the time in the gym, falling out on the floor. We think we got a good workout, that should help. We also think that you know, if I go on this next diet and restrict my calories and really watch my diet, watch what I'm eating, that'll help. So we can get into that stuff because of our very busy-minded, I'll sleep when I'm dead attitude, You know, like this human doing thing where we're doing so many things to get something. And it's difficult for that type of mindset to grasp the real understanding, the truth that you get more benefit than your diet and your exercise combined by doing absolutely nothing, AKA when you're sleeping. And so the University of Chicago helped to really uh, solidify this statement when they did a study recently, and they had individuals in the study to get on a calorie-restricted diet and they're monitoring everything and they're getting eight and a half hours of sleep in one phase of the study. Another phase of the study, same exact diet, everything else in their life is the same, but now they sleep-deprived them and they're only getting five and a half hours of sleep. What they discovered at the end of the study was that when they were getting adequate amounts of sleep, they lost 55% more body fat, 55% more body fat. You cannot get that kind of change from a diet or from exercise unless you literally beat yourself down every day all day it's like you're training like an athlete for the rest of your life or you can just sleep better you know and so it's kind of right there in black and white also um research published in multiple different countries as well is coming and kind of supporting the same thing it's not just here in the us but we're seeing this across the board in other countries as well that are buying into this kind of westernized You know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, beat myself down to the ground and getting disconnected from what's real and natural about us as human beings, which sleep is a huge component for literally, and here's another thing to to add on to the mix here is our genetic expression. Our sleep quality is one of the biggest things that is an epigenetic influence, epigenetic trigger, which basically what that means is you're turning on and turning off genes for disease based on the way that you sleep. And so we've got the body composition component. We've got the genetic component, which should kind of scare you straight uh, when we look at the higher rates of heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. But another thing that I want to share is what about our performance? And so there was a, a physician study done, and this was actually done on physicians for their work performance. And this was published in The Lancet. And so they had the physicians to complete a task. And so you can insert whatever job you're doing into this, all right? So you complete a task. Then they sleep deprived them just for one night, one night of sleep deprivation, and they had them to do the same exact job, the same exact task. And what happened was they made 20% more mistakes, all right, doing the same exact thing they do anyways, 20% more mistakes. And it took them 14% longer to do the same exact thing. So a lot of times we'll mistake that we're working more, you know, we're doing more work, but we're sacrificing the quality of our work which leads to us having to work more and to clean up our messes. Also, university research has found that, you know, and this is actually done on university students, that sleep deprivation is a higher indicator of school performance and also the ability to finish classes. So they discovered that sleep deprivation was at or greater to the effects on academic performance as binge drinking and marijuana use, all right? Sleep. So sleep deprivation in some cases was even a greater predictor of poor performance, all right? So again, culture, you know, we're looking at a culture of we're workers where you, you said it, we're wearing, it's a badge of honor, you know, that we're kicking ourselves down every single day, trying to achieve this kind of prize somewhere off in the distance and not understanding that we're sacrificing our quality of life in an outstanding way and not in a good way. And I want to throw one more thing in here because I just did a show on this recently. The big connection between sleep and sex. So what was discovered was that there's two things. Number one, clinically proven one night of sleep deprivation lowers your testosterone by basically 5% each hour you're missing. All right. And that just stacks up because this is how your body literally outside of everything else we know in nature, where your body, your hormonal cycles are lined up with the day and how The hours go by during the day. Each minute changes what your hormones are doing, like a cortisol rhythm, for example. That's irrelevant when it comes to your testosterone. There are things that you do that elevate your testosterone. And this is for men and women. Women need testosterone as well. It's just a smaller percentage. And so this is for your drive. This is for your motivation, your uh, ability to burn fat optimally. And so you start to dramatically lose your testosterone levels when you're sleep deprived. And also, so that leads to erectile dysfunction. So uh, one study that I talked about in the show showed that just conclusively erectile dysfunction right off the bat, probably the highest cause or highest marker for that is sleep deprivation. And so instead of us addressing our sleep, we'll take a pill, you know, we'll take a pill that comes with the warning of, you know, if you have an erection for four hours, you need to rush over and see me. You know, the doctor, not me, don't come see me. I don't I don't wanna see it. But you gotta take into consideration, like this is very abnormal. You know, we're taking something to treat a symptom instead of removing the underlying cause, which is optimizing our sleep. So those are a few things there that should really help to pinpoint just how much our sleep, and specifically our sleep quality, not sleeping more necessarily, and we wanna make that clear, but how important it is for so many different areas of our life.
0: have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into the idea of quality versus quantity, because that's certainly a big debate in the sleep sphere, especially with all the biohacking and all the new tricks and gadgets and supplements. So I definitely want to go there later. But before kind of jumping into the solution, the one area I want to dig even deeper as far as the detriments of sleep are talking about the restorative powers of sleep for the brain. So if you could maybe go into the, just a very brief explanation of how our lymphatic system works, how the glymphatic system works, and then even more importantly, beyond the restorative powers as far as memory retention and whatnot, what it's doing to our telomere length. And for those that don't know what telomere, length is, why they should know and why they should be really, really concerned.
1: Wow. Yes. Uh, So this is another great point. I'm glad that you brought this up. So super fascinating. I, I just did a show recently, just pinpointing and drilling down on the lymphatic system. And so your lymphatic system is basically like your extracellular waste management system for your body. So like if your house didn't have a waste management system, stuff would start to get really nasty in your place very quickly. You know, it's from like people using the bathroom and things like that and not having a way for it to get eliminated from your house. That's what your lymphatic system is doing for you. It's helping to move metabolic waste around and out of your system. And so your lymphatic system keeps your body healthy. But recently, research discovered that the lymphatic system basically just goes up to your collarbone and then dumps back into your system. Your brain, there's something called the blood brain barrier, and your brain doesn't Interact directly with the lymphatic system, and so they were wondering, like, so how does your brain detoxify itself? Because it's building up more metabolic waste than any other part of your body, because it's doing millions of processes every second, right? So how is your brain detoxifying itself? And they found, discovered something: these glial cells that help to run this process, and now it's called the glymphatic system, that helps to detoxify your brain. And so without this process working, and so this is what is being like the leading thing today that's starting to be attributed to Alzheimer's is an inability of your brain to detoxify itself, right? It's an inability of your brain to detoxify itself. It's just building up all of this metabolic waste and it can't remove it. And so it's blocking new cell growth and blocking functions. So how do we help to support the system? Well, funny enough, your glymphatic system is actually 10 times more active when you're sleeping than when you're awake. So your glymphatic system, this is when it's really kicking into high gear to eliminate all these waste for new cell growth and development of your brain. So your brain being able to recharge and to come back better is facilitated when you go to sleep. And actually they found that your brain cells will actually shrink by about 60% during sleep to make even more room for these pathways for your, for your brain to detoxify itself. This is how important sleep is for your brain. And then we get in this conversation about brain health related to sleep. Um, there's a part of all these different phases of sleep that we can go through, but one of them is rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. And this is when uh, your brain, it's this process called memory processing, where the things you're learning even right now in this moment, here with Zach and I, gets converted into your short-term memory during REM sleep. And so if that part of your sleep cycle is inhibited, And of course, you know, we could talk about some things that will gum that up. You're going to have less ability to retain your memories and to be able to eventually turn these things into long-term memories as well. You know, so uh, sleep is a huge component when we talk about anything relating to brain function more than anything, more than the nutrition, more than exercise, more than you studying more. It's, it's the sleep quality that actually really determines your, your focus, productivity, your energy. And your memory as well. So, uh, you also mentioned the telomeres. This is really fascinating stuff, and I didn't know you wanted to geek out on the show. But I saw I saw that you had Kelly Starrett on here, and I know that he can oh, kind of geek out a little bit.
0: I love to geek out. My audience knows I do not shy away from the complicated stuff because this is where the money is. So let's just dive right in.
1: You got it. You got it. So I actually cited Kelly in my book. He's an amazing guy, and uh, he contributed, and I truly, truly appreciate his work. So. Telomeres. This is this kind of like is one of my favorite things in the world to talk about, because what telomeres are and what they're showing, this is the greatest biological marker for how long we're going to live. All right. So recently and actually uh, Elizabeth Blackburn won the Nobel Prize for this discovery of telomerase. And that these are telomeres basically tell us how long we're going to live. And so these are like, so let me, let's break down what telomeres are. So telomeres are sort of like, if you think about your shoe, all right, if you think about your shoe and you think about the shoelaces themselves, and at the end of your shoelaces, you have these little end caps, these little plastic end caps, most cases, sometimes they're like metal, whatever. You've got some weird kind of cool shoes or boots or something, but they're usually plastic end caps that wrap around the end of your shoelace, that keep the shoelace from fraying. And if anybody's ever had those things break or not be there and trying to tie your shoe or get your shoe through those holes, it is a tedious task. So those end caps are essentially like your telomeres. Your telomeres are at the end of your chromosomes, keeping them from fraying. And what's fascinating is that as we age, those telomeres get clipped off gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until the DNA unravels, until you unravel, until you die, until until you're gone. So these telomeres can basically tell you how long you're going to live. And as I talked about in Sleep Smarter is that this new fascinating research uncovered that one of the greatest things to kind of influence our telomere length and accelerate the loss of our telomere length is sleep deprivation. All right. So our sleep deprivation literally can just cut away that telomere length faster than pretty much anything that they looked at. So what do we want to do about this is really the question, you know, because so a lot of people when they're in their younger years, we can, quote, get away with sleep deprivation. Right. So when we're in college and this typically when it happens, because we go to school and it's just like we don't have that structure anymore. Mom can't tell us what to do. We're doing what we want to do. and We're just going to stay up and just live life. And so that kind of starts this pattern. And we still, I remember, like I was in college, same thing probably with you as well. And I still got my work done. You know, I still showed up and took the test. I did what I had to do. But we little did we know that we were accelerating our aging process. And so, by the way, that research was conducted by the University of California that found that sleep deprivation is one of the single biggest triggers for accelerated loss of your telomeres. All right. So if anybody wants to look that up. So- What we're doing is, and you will see this, and this is a big kind of aha moment. Today, more than ever in human history, we're seeing diseases of the elderly in younger populations. People in their 20s and 30s with adult onset diabetes. In their 20s and 30s, hitting levels of chronic obesity, skyrocketing rates of cancer, for example. Things that were considered to happen tend to happen when people are older in age, are now happening in far younger generations. And so what's happening, a big part of this, is we're accelerating our aging process. We might have only been here for 25 years, but certain processes in our body have been so aged that we're seeing these things show up. For me, personally, I know this viscerally because when I was 20, I had the spine of an 80-year-old person. From the outside, maybe I still look somewhat 20, which I think I actually looked older then than I do now, uh, almost 20 years later, you know, but my body was telling another story inside, you know. So this is why it's so important. It's not that, you know, it's, oh, you should get eight hours of sleep and, you know, then you'll be healthy. This is literally determining how you show up in the world, your performance. It's literally determining how long you're going to live. And if that's not enough, for you to really put some attention on this. And I'm going to show you that it's not, again, you don't have to change your life upside down, but it's more so focusing on getting great sleep quality so that you could show up and live your best life possible on many different levels.
0: Well, and if this hasn't been enough, I wanna go one more layer deep because this is a very common question that I get from people in my industry. And that's the idea of, even if I'm getting a decent amount of sleep, does the time of day matter, especially if I work the graveyard shift? So I wanna talk about what you learned as far as working the graveyard shift or chronic sleep deprivation actually being a carcinogen. Mm,
1: Yeah, all right. So um, (laughs) what's being said now in the field of sleep medicine is that timing your sleep is like timing an investment in the stock market. It doesn't matter how much you invest, it matters when you invest. Because with investing, you can invest a little bit at the right time and you get a lot of reward. If you invest a nice amount at the wrong time, you can end up with pain. So the bottom line is this: we just kind of want to get right to the core. Humans, we're not we're not nocturnal creatures, all right? We are day walkers, all right? I think there's like a movie about that or something, like some weird vampire movie. But we're we're day walkers, and our senses are very attuned to being awake and up and working. And functioning during the daytime, and I like to start there with the kind of biological evidence. If you look at evolutionary biology, you know, if you're out walking around at night, prior to just again about a hundred years ago, uh, without a torch or something, we didn't have the ability to light up our nights, and so that lion can see you, you know, who has more cones and rods or whatever in their in their optical receptors, they can see you, but you can't see them. You know, your sense of hearing is not like that of the gray fox that doesn't have as great of eyesight as a, as a big cat, but um, they can sense their environment that way. You know, so we are very much attuned to seeing the colors and the spectrum of, of life and the beauty around us during the day. So we're literally hardwired to be day creatures. And so, but there are people who will say, you know, I'm a night owl, but you're literally not an owl. Right? You're literally not any of these animals. There are people who... If you look at their biological chronotype, they do tend to go to bed a little bit later and wake up a little bit later. But it's not that varied. It's not that as dramatic as we've enabled it to be in our society, where we have, you know, 24/7 stimulation. You know, back in the day, uh, even a few decades ago, if you wanted to stay up late and watch television, you couldn't. There's like three channels, and you know, it turns off. It's like static or like that weird-looking screen with the colors at a certain time, but now we got 24 seven stimulation, anything you want, whenever you want Netflix. Oh my goodness. Have you seen Luke Cage? Have you seen daredevil? You know, like these shows house of cars, whatever, like they're so addictive and people are just like, I'm just going to watch the whole season in one night. You know, we've got this insatiable appetite for these things now and your biology doesn't care because you're wired, hardwired to get a normal sleep cycle in accordance with the rest of life. And so where does this how does this all play out for our health? Well, uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer found that night shift—they classified night shift work, okay, so working overnight as a Class 2A carcinogen. All right, so they found and have confirmed, and also the World Health Organization as well, that working overnight causes cancer. That sounds absurd. It's so—it sounds so absurd, but the the research is is unbending. It's proven across the board. Working overnight is as strong as a cancer-causing agent as UVA radiation and lead exposure. All right? They're classified in the same category. And how does this happen? Well, here's something really profound about melatonin. So people hear about melatonin all the time as being the sleep hormone. But in actuality, it's quite possibly your body's most powerful anti-cancer hormone as well. That's tremendous anti-cancer capacities and, and roles that it plays in your body, right? And also, just to go back really quickly with fat loss, uh, research that I just started talking about recently, done in the journal, um, I think it was Pineal Research, the Pineal Journal, one of the two, found that melatonin increases your body's brown adipose tissue, which is a fat that burns fat. It's a type of fat that's very small in percentage in your body, but it burns away all of that kind of visceral subcutaneous fat, the white adipose tissue that everybody wants to get rid of. Melatonin helps your body burn fat, but you only produce melatonin when you get a normal day and night cycle. You have to be in darkness at night in order to produce more melatonin in order to protect your body. So individuals who are doing shift work, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of nurses, physicians over the years. Uh, These are some of my very first patients, clients, people that I work with. Working at a university, I work with a lot of nurses and uh, they're up all night in, you know, hospital lights all night long, you know, and we're not taking care of the people who take care of us because of the structure of society, which number one, I just want to throw this out there that I'm more, even though this kind of taking the turn of like scared straight, I'm much more of the solutions and fun and optimist guy rather than this. And so I look at, if this is about service for you, if you're doing this job overnight where you're in law enforcement or a firefighter, Uh, physician, something like that. And this is about service. And that's your number one driving force in your life. So be it. Just continue to do that and and stack the conditions. Do all the other stuff we're going to talk about. Add those things into your life. Stack conditions in your favor. But if it's an excuse in your mind that I have to stay up late and work overnight because it's the only job I can get or um, this is the only time that I have my free time to myself so I can watch all my shows and get caught up on whatever news if you're lying to yourself that that's the only time you can do something is to be up working overnight when everyone else is, is sleeping, we have to really take a look at that and, and, and be honest with yourself because it's just not true. There's infinite possibility that you have to structure your life how you want to. It just matters. Is health the number one priority and happiness and, and living a long life with a healthy brain more important than Game of Thrones? You know, and you can still watch Game of Thrones. I promise you, I've seen them, you know, it's great show, but you can do it at a different time. If you structure your life with the intention of having high quality sleep first being the catalyst so that you can actually fully enjoy your waking time rather than being a zombie and walking, you know, kind of walking dead status through it. There's a shout out to another TV show.
0: Well, and it's funny that you bring up the the idea that, you know, the the people that are working the night shifts are saving us. And especially on this show, with all the creative type people and people that work in entertainment, we're, we're talking to the people that are entertaining us. Like There are actually people that listen to the show that I know for a fact that work on House of Cards, that work on Game of Thrones, that work on The Walking Dead. And those are the people that really need to understand how detrimental this is. And I feel like we have certainly covered all of the, the detriments and the things that can happen when you wear that sleep deprivation badge of honor. So now I want to go into your specialty, which is let's rewrite the script and let's give people the tools so they can actually start to move forwards. And we don't need to go into advanced tools or technology or biohacking. Frankly, that's kind of what somebody like Ben Greenfield is so good at. And he'll actually be following up this show with exactly that. But you are just the master of developing simple systems and ways to kind of improve the quality of your sleep without any major Investment or major lifestyle changes. So the, the first area that I wanted to go into, because you go through a lot of them in your book, and there's um, a few that I wanted to focus on specifically for this audience. And the first of which is kind of alluding to what you said earlier, which is that getting a good night's sleep starts the moment that you wake up And that really has a lot to do with movement, which is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I've built an entire online program to help people at their workstations move more throughout the day. But it's also about exposure to light. And especially in industries where people work you know, in, in creative jobs, whether it is film editors like me or it's computer programmers or writers, your entire life is in darkness. So let's talk about how you can get good a good night's sleep starting the moment you wake up and how light is affecting us.
1: Oh, yeah. this is This is really great. So again, us being these daytime creatures, sunlight is incredibly important for setting our circadian timing system. So Your circadian timing system is more real than the time on your cell phone or your wristwatch, And it's how your body lines up and produces hormones, enzymes, neurotransmitters based on what time of day it is. So the closer we can be in touch with that, the the healthier we're going to be. And so sunlight exposure, specifically what the research shows between uh, the hours of 6 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. is the most advantageous. For helping to optimize your circadian timing system and make sure that your kind of your hormonal cycle is timed up with with life itself, and you're going to feel good when you should feel good. And what the research shows, and this was published in the journal Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience found that uh, exposure to sunlight in that time frame significantly decreases cortisol later in the day compared to not getting sunlight exposure or being exposed to dim dim light during the day, basically cooped up in an office setting. And so what does that mean? Well, basically, cortisol is super important and valuable, amazing hormone that's been drugged through the mud. This is, this is a bad guy. But cortisol is incredibly important for basically giving you the, the gusto to kind of get up and go to, to work out, all that kind of stuff. It's not a bad guy, but it's when it's produced at the wrong time and in wrong amounts when it can cause you problems. Cortisol out of balance can create a process called gluconeogenesis, which is this is where Cortisol can literally break down your muscle tissue and convert it into glucose. All right, so it could turn your muscle into glucose, which then turns on insulin, which gets stored as fat. So it can break down your muscle tissue and make you fatter, all right, if it's out of bounds, if it's doing the wrong thing. One of the worst times that cortisol is doing anything is at night. So cortisol, your cortisol level, and I put a chart actually and looks at a normal cortisol rhythm in the book. And your cortisol should be elevated, again, between like 6 and 8 a.m. and then gradually decline and bottom out in the evening. But many people, clinically, we call them tired and wired, where their cortisol was too high at night and too low in the morning. These are the people that it was almost impossible just to get out of bed. It was such a struggle. And then at night, you're just like, I'm up. I'm wired. You know, I know that I'm physiologically like my body feels tired, but I'm up. And so to help to lower that cortisol in the evening – Getting exposure to natural sunlight, to get exposure to sunlight in the early part of the day helps to drop your cortisol at night. And this is clinically, this is like neuroscience, all right, studying, looking at the brain. It's found to do, to do that for you. Now, couple that with, let me make this clear. If you're doing that step, but then, you know, you're up at night, you know, watching whatever, you know, or you're working on a computer, it's kind of defeating the purpose. Like it's gonna elevate your cortisol, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, so we wanna get some sun exposure, for that purpose, and also individuals who are kind of in that office setting where they're not exposed to windows, I, I think it's really important to share this, is that uh, one study that I cited found that office workers who did not who did not have access to windows got 173% less exposure to natural white light, all right? So that's even more than than 100%, all right? So this is basically like It's ridiculous, all right? It's ridiculous. And as a result of that less exposure to natural white light, they slept an average of 46 minutes less each night. And the sleep deficit resulted in more reported physical ailments, lower vitality and poor sleep quality versus the office workers who had exposure to more natural light during the day, who tended to be more physically active, happier, higher quality of life. Things were just working out better for them. because of simply getting more exposure to natural light during the day. So if you're in an office setting where you don't have exposure, which I hope that that's not your case, but there are many offices that look like this, where they're kind of right in the middle of the building or whatever the case may be, and you're not getting natural sunlight, at least just coming through a window, um, there are some little hacks that you could do. Number one, I would encourage you to structure your day, maybe set a timer on your phone or something, or maybe before you get to work to get yourself some natural sunlight exposure you know maybe you go and take your break outside or you go and sit in a lighted area um have walking meetings things like that i would love for you to do it as natural as possible first as zach mentioned you know that's the way that i like to approach things but i am because ben i actually just uh was emailing with him right before literally right before this so it's really cool that he's going to be coming on he you know he's one of the best in the business and he's he's definitely more into kind of the, the the technology side and the gadgets and things like that. He knows a ton about that stuff. And there are some things that we agree on for sure. One of those things is there's there are actually earbuds that you can wear that, because there's sensors in your ear that connect directly to areas in your brain that help this circadian cycle. So wearing these light emitting earbuds can actually help to get you some of the benefits we're talking about with sun exposure. Uh, light boxes have been used for, many years now, they're clinically proven to help to reduce depression and symptoms of seasonal affective disorder because of what it does for boosting your serotonin. It's another reason you need to get that sun exposure. Serotonin gets produced as well, which serotonin is a precursor for melatonin, um, that sleep hormone we've been talking about. And so you get all of these benefits and there are hacks that you can use as well if you're in those settings. But my thing would be first and foremost to structure your life just so you can get a few minutes, I recommend just 10 minutes, 10 minutes of sunlight exposure uh, during that prime time of uh, six o'clock to 8.30 in the morning, if at all possible. And if, even if not, then get 10 minutes, 20 minutes later on in the day, just by you know structuring and adding in some of the tips we talked about.
0: I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core360 Active Sitting Chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off. It's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades. You're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. those Of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topomat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me/slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me/slash QOR360. Yeah, and sunlight exposure is definitely one of those things that a lot of people in my industry are just almost like, seriously, what is that thing in the glowing sky? Like, right. get away. Like, that. you look at pictures of what people that do what I do for a living. It's just them sitting in a dark room surrounded by electronics, which is where I want to go to next because we're talking about underexposure to sunlight. Now let's talk about direct and overexposure to electronics and how that's affecting the quality of our sleep, especially towards the evening hours.
1: Harvard University researchers recently confirmed that blue light exposure specifically from our devices suppresses your melatonin dramatically all right so that sleep hormone we've been talking about and i want to make this clear you can get eight hours of sleep where you're physiologically physically unconscious you're you're passed out but if your melatonin is suppressed because of the things we're talking about you're not going to go through your normal sleep cycle your brain the lymphatic system is gonna do the job it's supposed to do properly. Your your testosterone is not going to, to elevate properly. So all of these things that should be happening when you're unconscious aren't happening because of these things like exposure to blue light at night. And so they found that blue light exposure was more powerful to suppress melatonin than any other form of light exposure. So they found that blue light exposure suppressed your melatonin and disrupted your sleep cycles twice as much as green light exposure. Of the same luminance. And they found that red light exposure was really negligible actually in how it impacts your melatonin at night. So if you look at evolutionary biology again, if we did have light exposure at night, what we evolved with, it would be fire, right? Reddish, oranges, colors, right? Yellowish, oranges, reddish colors. Those hues are actually cool. They kind of cool off your your system all right? if you look at because it sounds reverse like this should be hot right but i'm talking more like the kelvin scale this is getting kind of too nerdy let me back up a little bit so here's the thing this is what they found out basically every hour that you're on your device when it gets dark outside all right they found that this was not true during the day this didn't impact in melatonin at all using your devices during the day but every hour you use your device at night suppresses melatonin for 30 minutes All right. And I'm giving the approximation. It's a little bit different than what I'm saying. But basically, every hour equals 30 more minutes of suppressed melatonin. Okay, And so what do we do about this? And that's the the solutions guy here. Now, number one, ideally, yes, the best solution would be to to just not be on your devices late at night. You know, give your body a good screen curfew so that your melatonin can be elevated. And what they also found, by the way, I didn't mention this, is that the blue light, one of the things that it does is it elevates your cortisol, like through the roof, all right? Cortisol gets elevated, and cortisol and melatonin have an inverse relationship. So if cortisol is high, melatonin is down. So to give uh, give yourself a little bit of a screen curfew gives your body time for cortisol to drop to normal levels, melatonin to rise to normal levels, and your body can actually go through your natural normal sleep cycle when you go to sleep. And I want to talk just quick, really quickly, give you some pointers about this. Don't just say... I promise you, if you're like, you know what, this guy's right, you know, I I read his book or I've looked into his research, he's right, I'm going to give myself a screen curfew, I'm going to get off my device 30 minutes before I go to bed. You know, 30 minutes is a great minimum place to start. And then you do that and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs like, okay, here we go. No no iPhone, no Instagram, all right. You're going to get the internet jitters. I promise you, you're going to hop on just like, let me just look at one post real quick or check one email. Because we're physiologically addicted to our devices, and I break down the the science, you know, the the hormone and brain science in the book, and how that actually happens. And it's all okay. it's okay. We all are. All right. The first step is admitting that we have a problem. All right. So we have to fill that time with something of greater or equal value. We can't just put our phone aside and just sit there. So for you, I don't know what that might be. It could be um, spending some time with your kids. You know, maybe playing a game, playing a board game. You remember board games, like. Uh, connect four right connect four monopoly life i don't know there's probably some new stuff i don't even know about now playing some board games um hanging out with your kids maybe talk to your spouse your significant other i mean maybe that might be a good thing you know but again we were so abnormal in our in our culture today that we oftentimes don't even look at these kind of things have sex Hopefully that's more interesting than Instagram, but who knows? You know, maybe it's not. I don't know. It could be you're not doing it right. I don't know. But so fill that time with something more valuable. Maybe you have a nice evening routine, a bedtime routine, which is another big issue that today we don't do anymore. We, we get ready for work. We get ready for meetings. We get ready to go to the gym, but we don't get ready for bed anymore. We just kind of stumble into it. Like I really should get to bed. Like Well, last thing we usually do is like put our phone down or turn the TV off, and then we go to bed. So we have a neuroassociation that we can tap into to help us to sleep better by having an evening ritual. Last thing really quickly, uh, so that's the, that's the kind of, this is the hardest thing of everything. There's 21 strategies in Sleep Smarter, but this is the hardest thing because we are so connected to our devices. I love my MacBook, I love my iPhone. These are not going anywhere in my life anytime soon, but they, I have them in, we have a good relationship. We have a good relationship. And so here's some hacks, though, because real talk, you're going to be on your phone late sometimes, probably a lot of times. All right. I know this television. You're going to be up like the kids are going to be to bed. You want to watch a movie with your your wife, your husband, whatever. You know, the, all that stuff is going to happen. So what do we do so we can protect our bodies as much as we can? Uh, number one, for your devices, like your uh, laptops, your desktops, there's an app called Flux. And I've literally, I've got tens of thousands of people using this now. It's not my app. And uh, shout out to Flux. At some point, somebody needs to contact me and uh, at least send me a thank you note or something. But this this is incredible. I've been using it for over three years now. And it automatically pulls that blue spectrum of light out of your screen at night automatically based on your time zone and the time of year. And it's a super easy app to install. Just go to Dr. Google, type, type in F.LUX f.lux. And it's just a couple of clicks and it's installed on your computer. It's free, easy to use, easy to deactivate if you want to look at a design or something like that and turn right back on. And again, I've been using it and it does this on your device automatically every night. You don't ever have to touch it again. And so iPhones, the new Apple products uh, for all their new updates for their iOS updates and also all their new phones has built into the phone a tool called Night Shift it's called night shift and it does the same thing we've been talking about it pulls out the most melatonin suppressing color from your screen automatically why would a billion multi-billion dollar company like apple do that they know already they're not they're definitely not doing this for no reason they know that this could be a potential thing with you know lawsuits because of what we talked about with people having poor sleep quality relating to cancer diabetes heart disease accelerated aging What if they give a tool that you can use to help to buffer that stuff? And that's what they're doing. For Androids, there are apps that you can use. Uh, I would suggest maybe something like Twilight, but just type in uh, blue light blocking in your app store and you can experiment and find out. All right, so do that. Last thing for all the ambient light at night, or if you're watching a TV, which they're gonna start doing this with televisions as well, having that blue light option on there. I'm telling you now, is you can wear some blue light blocking shades like glasses that have like an orangish or yellow, yellowish tint. And you could still kind of be up at night. And this is for me. This is what I've been doing for years. The sun goes down, these glasses go on, right? And immediately, immediately you notice improvement in your sleep quality because your body's producing more melatonin. And I've had, I mean, I I can't even tell you countless stories of people just saying I did that one thing and improved my sleep quality my energy the next day. Like my energy is so much better now simply by wearing these blue light blocking glasses at night. You know, so there's some really cool hacks that don't cost a lot of money. Some are free, but the, the biggest thing and always is first and foremost, what's real and natural. It's free to put your phone down and talk to somebody that you love.
0: Yeah. And I, as far as uh, Flux is concerned, you and I should both be affiliates for them because I've been talking about them probably on almost every podcast I've done for two years. And you come into my office after dark and it just it looks like a photographer's dark room, only red light bulbs. All my computers are completely dark. I actually use the dark room mode where it actually inverses the computer and white becomes black and it's just a black and red screen. But it makes a huge difference on my sleep. So I can put a link in the show notes to that. I'll put a link in the show notes to what a real book is so if you're wondering well wait what's a real book and how does it work I can put a link to that um, the other thing I, I will link to as well that you alluded to is the idea of developing an evening routine and I wrote up an extensive post about how I managed to get seven and a half hours of sleep every night no matter how crazy my schedule using the routine so that's just at fitness slash sleep but I know that your time is super valuable and there's one more area that we've really promised to get to that we haven't hit yet that I want to make sure we cover at least briefly before before I lose you. And that's the the idea of quality versus quantity. Because, for example, a couple of months ago, somebody in my industry had posted to one of the forums saying, hey, I'm having a hard time sleeping because my mind is racing at night. What do you suggest? And some of them were, well, I really like Tylenol PM. I have a couple of glasses of wine before, before I go to sleep and I'll get eight hours. But I think people really need to understand that it's so much more about the quality of your sleep than it is the quantity. But that also doesn't mean like going the biohacking route and saying, well, I only sleep three hours a night, but it's super high quality. So let's just talk a little bit about why it's so important to be getting quality sleep and not just focus on saying, well, I got my
1: eight hours. Got it. Got it. You know, that type of talk, you know, if you look at the the data, the hard science, we see individuals that consistently are getting four or less hours of sleep per night, having like upwards of 75% uh, higher mortality rates, you know, dying early. All right, so you're literally speeding up the day. Like, I sleep when I'm dead? Yes, you absolutely will so much sooner, right? It's not the way to go. Um, and so also with that said, there are people who are sleeping for six hours but sleeping smarter and getting high-quality sleep that are doing a lot better with their with their health and their performance, and people who are sleeping eight hours of really, you know, low-quality kind of crummy sleep where their melatonin is cortisol is high, um, testosterone is off all that kind of stuff, estrogen's not doing this thing. All you're basically, what all this boils down to is what your hormones are doing. And your brain is governing this. Your brain waves specifically are, they're the trigger or they're the facility for different hormonal patterns to take place. So right now, we're all in beta, right? So we're in beta brain wave state. This is a normal waking kind of conscious brain wave state. And when we start to drift into sleep, that whole process of, quote, quote, drifting away. We move from beta to alpha, which is a slowing down of those brain waves, to theta, and then into deep delta. Deep delta sleep is where deep anabolic sleep happens. Like, and when I say anabolic, that means the building up of, so this is when you actually produce the vast majority of like your uh, growth hormone, right? So uh, also known as the youth hormone that helps with um, retaining muscle mass, strength, energy, Delta sleep, all right? That's deep non-REM sleep. And also, so REM sleep is going to be closer to theta, right? So that's a rapid eye movement sleep we talked about earlier where we get memory processing and all kinds of other cool stuff like that. So what we're going to do is each of your sleep cycles is approximately 75 to 90 minutes, all right? And so this is a state, this is a flowing of in and out of each of these stages. And the the stages start to get shorter and shorter as the night goes on to your fully kind of your, your topped off, right? So we want to facilitate, and make sure that we're going through all of these stages normally, and we don't want anything that breaks these patterns and disrupts them. And so this is what we are talking about, sleep quality versus quantity, because if your sleep cycles are broken, for example, you mentioned, uh, the alcohol and I'm a fan, I'm a fan, you know, I, I'm not against, uh, drinking alcohol. Or caffeine but when you don't interact with those things the right way those are killers absolute killers for your sleep quality so uh, one of the studies that i cited found that drinking alcohol before bed does in fact help you to fall asleep faster i mean for sure without a doubt it's clinically proven the problem is that drinking alcohol before bed creates something called a REM rebound effect and what happens is your REM sleep specifically gets radically disrupted from alcohol being in your system. And so, again, this is where memory processing happens. So if you drink enough alcohol before you go to sleep, you can literally lose your short term memory. So you won't remember what you did. And I know this never happened to anybody listening, right? I know nobody listening has ever drank a lot. They don't remember what they did or what they said. Not this, not this audience. But it happens. You probably know somebody. It's, it might have been you, but we won't tell anybody. All right. So please understand that during this process, um, you know, drinking alcohol right before bed, for example, is going to disrupt this whole process we're talking about. So what do we do? How can we still enjoy our alcohol, have some wine, you know, have a few drinks? Uh, One of those things, number one, is have an alcohol curfew. Give your body a solid three hours after your last drink before you go to bed. Your body actually processes and eliminates alcohol really quickly. Thus, why you pee so much. All right. It's trying to get rid of stuff. So you want to support that. Process. Um, So, number one, give yourself a little bit of a time before you go to bed. Number two, you can help the process of of diluting the alcohol by drinking more water. You know, have a pitcher of water right there on your table. And um, experts say to drink an eight-ounce glass of water for every small alcoholic beverage. You know, so maybe like two-ounce, whatever, three-ounce drink, eight ounces of water for each one. And I'd say even more. So it'll help you to basically process and metabolize that stuff faster. So there's a couple of hacks for you. You know, go to happy hour versus like all nighter thing. All right. So you can still enjoy your 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 alcohol and and still get great sleep and not wake up with what's called a hangover. And a hangover is just because you're not going through your sleep cycle properly. Like we I just basically gave the the solution for hangovers. All right. If you caught it, that's really what it is. Another thing is the caffeine. You know, we talked about that as well. Caffeine, so one, one study that I cite in the book is even six hours before bed, having caffeine was enough to, basically from an objective measuring, by monitoring somebody's brain waves, they found that they lost one full hour of sleep. So they were unconscious. They thought they got the amount of sleep they were going for, but they lost a full hour of sleep because they weren't cycling through their sleep cycles normally because they had caffeine too close to bedtime. So caffeine has a half-life of about eight hours. So that means if you consume 300 milligrams of caffeine, eight hours later, 150 milligrams is still active in your system. And that's a, that's a lot. It can light up your nervous system like a Christmas tree. All right? So give yourself a caffeine curfew. Have it in the, in the morning. Have your caffeine first part of the morning. Lay off of it in the afternoon and evening. It's really that simple. There are some little hacks there too, like a tyrosine. You can just Google because we're coming up here in the close of the show. Tyrosine and... And caffeine, and see what the kind of interaction that you can utilize that to help your body to process and get out of your system faster. But the bottom line is the best approach is going to be to give yourself a little bit of a caffeine curfew. Again, everything that we're doing, we can still live our life normally and have a good time and enjoy things. It's just we need to interact with it a little bit smarter, and so we can stack the conditions in our favor to make sure that we get great sleep every night and we show up the next day better for everybody that we want to show up better for for our kids for our family, for our coworkers, for the the industry that's looking for our best work, because you are not showing up as your best self when you're sleep deprived. You're designed to be far more and far better than the sleep deprived version of yourself. And the real secret, the key here is simply to optimize your sleep quality by sleeping smarter. That's the real key.
0: Well, I couldn't have said it better myself, and I'm just getting warmed up, and I have about 47 more questions, but – I know that I have to be respectful of your time. So I'm most likely going to jump right off this call and uh, email your assistant and get a part two set up in the near future. Um, but that having been said, you have so many tips in your book, Sleep Smarter, which frankly, you need to change the title to and just call it The Sleep Bible because that's really what it is. I've 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 looked at other texts and other books and other things that talk about sleep and they're helpful, but this is just like, if you want to learn everything you need to know that's going to change your life about sleep, like Sleep Smarter does it. This is a phenomenal book. This has been a phenomenal interview. And I hope that these 60 minutes can literally change the lives of people listening to it. So if people want to dig deeper with you, get the book, listen to your
1: podcast, where's the best place to send my audience? Sure, sure. Thank you so much, Zach, also for having me on. You can find out all of my work, our podcasts and all that good stuff is at themodelhealthshow.com. So that's themodelhealthshow.com. And also just anywhere that you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever that might be, wherever you are listening to this, you can find the Model Health Show there as well. And uh, very honored to say we've been featured as number one in the U.S. dozens and dozens of times uh, on iTunes uh, in in fitness and nutrition. We really provide a lot of value in creating like masterclasses on subject matters ranging from natural treatments for depression to uh, natural treatments for diabetes, self-image stuff to mindset stuff. Just, But we bring on the best people in the world in their respective fields. And I do a lot of uh, pure content myself to make sure that I'm teaching people what people were paying, you know, uh, a lot to come into my clinic to learn. Just packaging up all that information and giving it away free in the show so that you walk away feeling like a more empowered individual and understanding how your body works and also being inspired, you know, because a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about, it's difficult to do when the culture around you is so conducive to not being healthy, right? So conducive to, to self abuse. And so I want to be there to support you and in, in shows like this as well, to really get you in that, in that mindset of feeling like there's somebody that, that's supporting you, that's cheering you on and that's giving you the tools that you need to keep pushing forward, despite all of the negativity that might be around you. And that's what really inspires me.